0: the word that comes to mind when I think of today's guest is curiosity. QD3 is the son of Quincy Jones, the legendary record producer. He grew up in Sweden, became a champion break dancer and martial artist before getting into the music business himself, making hit records with Tupac, with Ice Cube, with a bunch of other people, and really um, being involved in the the formative years of hip-hop. But at the top of his game, he decided to leave the music business and started producing videos. And he got really successful with a a popular video series called Beef, which explored the rap beefs from Biggie and Tupac. You know, it was a a multi-series that really explored every avenue of, of beef that you could imagine. And now he's having his third career. As a tech entrepreneur, he just launched a new company called WeMash and a new app in the app store called Weems, W-E-M-E-S. He's going to talk to us about this journey that's this sort of restlessness that's carried him through his life and it's brought him through some ups and downs, some days he mentioned of being rich and some not so rich and what's pushed him through all that. So I'm excited to get into it. Before we do, let's hear the edm.com track of the week. All right, that was a little bit of G-House for our EDM.com track of the week. The artist is called Mishka, M-I-S-H-Q-A, and the song's called Lights and Hustle. You can find that on EDM.com or at SoundCloud.com slash first edition. This is Rebel Radio. You might be listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or uh, maybe somebody made you a cassette tape. I don't know. How, how should I know? But let's get into the interview with Quincy Jones.
1: Thanks for coming, man. man my pleasure, man. Yeah, I appreciate you being <laughs> yeah. here. It's
0: been a long time, as we're yeah. saying. I th- so I think I came to some, you were doing like some kind of upfront or something when you launched. Um, I think it was launching qd 3 Entertainment.
1: What Was the upfront for what now? I don't remember, but
0: it was like, I think when
1: you launched.
0: Uh, when did you launch qd 3 Entertainment? 2000? 2001 oh no so this was around this would have been around 2008 something like that and it it was like uh i'm trying to remember where it was but there was like a big presentation on the video screen and you had all kind of uh
1: you know ad and tech folks there oh,
0: oh was your yeah, man yeah,
1: paul yeah. That i was, think that was the uh Uh, was it the uh, the urban media summit? Yeah, 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 that's right. Hip hop and everybody, that's right, yeah, yeah, Chuck D and all that. Yeah, that was dope. Yeah, that was fun. So, what are you doing now? Um, so what I'm doing now, man, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff, tech stuff, actually. Sure, real quick. Speaking of
2: tech,
1: (laughs) is um. Uh, I'm doing a couple things. I just launched a company called uh, WeMash. Okay. WeMash.com. Okay. And basically what it is is my whole life I've always been, you know, um, passionate about technology. That's like my first love, really. I don't yeah. know if people know that. No. But that's what I went to school for, engineering is and that, all that right? stuff. Yeah. Oh, shit. And um and I've always been a geek since day one. Like, I I always wanted to get on, like, Wired Magazine and Mix Magazine. I didn't care about Billboard and okay. Grammys or nothing like that. Really? To me, it was all about the tech prowess, right? Yeah. So like I was carrying around my drum machine, I had handcuffs to it. Like <laughs> that was like the whole focal point for me was tech. Right. And Mantronic was like my idol. You know what okay. I mean? Okay. And, and so like, like I said, when I, w- I went to Berkeley uh, College of Music, but mm-hmm. I took the engineering line. Mm-hmm. And that's all I cared about. And uh, so so long story short, you know, I woke up. Thank you. I woke up and um, like about a year and a half ago, and was like, you know, I gotta go full steam into tech. I've always sort of dabbled and dabbled with it, and and had, like, side businesses that foray into that, like VOD channels and yeah. YouTube and all that. But I wanted to do it full-time, so I studied, you know, I went and studied all the books, read Ben Horowitz's book called uh, The Hard Things About Hard Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. great book. And I just fell in love with, with him and the whole notion of, of going full-time into tech and, and just hit him on Twitter. And um and I had this idea that I bought the domain for back in 2004 called Wemash. And it was basically the premises that, you know... um I've been in music sampling my whole life, mm-hmm. and making records from old records, taking old hits and creating new hits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I saw the opportunity that, um, of video taking the same path. So I bought the URL of WeMesh like way back in 2004 before YouTube even existed to do that play. And it was just too early. Mm-hmm. So every year I would try and try and try. And then like a year and a half ago, I read Ben's book, Yeah. hit him on Twitter, went up to him and pitched it and uh, we got finance, so So I'm I'm doing that full-time now. So, and what's it gonna be? It's uh, basically a mashup platform. Um, Like, you know how people are doing mashups with like, they're taking like film Mm -hmm. clips and music video footage and interview footage and they're creating their own videos or doing things like bad lip reading where they put their own voice on other movie clips to change the context and make it funny. And all that stuff is illegal, right? Mm -hmm. So people are stealing the content, you know, they're doing whatever they can to, to grab it. And so the problem with that is the, the the creators, the people that create that content, can't make money off it because it's illegal. Mm-hmm. YouTube can't make money off it. And the licensors can't make money off it because it's like multiple clips mashed up and they only yeah. own one of them. Yeah. So we're fixing that whole universe by creating a platform where we're clearing the content beforehand, putting mm-hmm. it in the cloud, letting people mash it up with tools that we build, and then being able to export it to YouTube, Vessel, and Twitter, Vine, oh, and all that great. stuff. Yeah. Why hasn't Thanks. anyone done that? You know, uh, I, it, I don't know.
3: Like, it seems like YouTube would make a move to try to do something like that, but that's brilliant.
1: I think the problem is that, you know, any of the bigger companies is a threat to any of the licensors, right? right. So, right. like, if YouTube gets uh, management of all the rights for music and, and video, then, you know, what are the entertainment companies even there for? Right? Oh. So they can't really give that right. up. So they're yeah, going to need a less threatening middleman like sure. us to do it.
0: No, it's interesting. I think, I mean, even, you know, what's happened with the MCNs, right, is like, yeah, you know, at the beginning it was just YouTube didn't have the bandwidth to think about that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, let's let some other people handle that. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, let somebody else prove that there's a business there. Yep. And then we'll worry about it. And I think, you know, to your point, it's like certain things need to develop under the radar. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that, right? We, culturally, is certain things need to happen just, mm-hmm. like, yeah. without all of the attention
1: and the pressure. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, too, YouTube, they, they're they're smart. You know, they know that no matter what we build on YouTube, they get the same percent if they did it right. themselves. Exactly. Right. So why would they build it?
0: Right, so let somebody else do it, figure out the yeah, model and smart. the yep. legalities
1: and all and, of that. And that's how our platform works also. It's like we put the content up there and we give them the tools, but then mm-hmm. other You know, um, app creators can develop tools for the platform, also, Mm -hmm. and then the users are doing the content. So, you know, it's up to to the universe's creativity on what can end up on the site any given day.
2: Yeah.
3: How did you
1: realize there was a need for this? So I'm actually a a filmmaker, also. Like I started in music as a music producer, and then and then I was a filmmaker, and I built a media company called QD Three Entertainment. I started in like 1998, like gathering footage. Uh, My lawyer Joel Katz, he told me he said, you know. Um, whatever you're doing right now I know you're a techie you know there's this thing called the internet coming out and it was like wait it was before it went public yeah and he showed me a 14k modem and I was like oh shit <laughs> you know and so at the time he told me he said invest everything on this thing called the internet and um, uh, and at the time I was thinking about doing the Ken's Mer series right like mm-hmm. for hip hop, mm-hmm. like documenting hip hop mm-hmm. in a video series, it was gonna be VHS before DVDs even. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was like, "No, you should do it on the internet." So, so I started buying footage. Like I would take all my Tupac revenues and just buy like Biggie and Tupac footage and, and like old classic right. stuff of Dre working in the studio. And then I started shooting my own content also mm-hmm. with the idea of going straight to consumer. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, and within about a year and a half of launching QD3 Entertainment, we were like number one in terms of like being a producer aggregator mm-hmm. and distributor of urban content. Right. So we built a catalog of like Jay-Z, Kanye, Tupac, Little Wayne, all this, you know, right. iconic footage. And for every DVD that we were shooting, we were shooting like 100 to 300 hours per project. That's and mean. then we'd use an hour. Mm-hmm. And then the rest would just go in a vault, and I was right. thinking for myself like I'm not going to really reopen these projects and and look through it again, like we already did that. Right. But what if we crowdsourced it? Mm-hmm. And that way you know, um, you know, I like to help underserved communities also. Mm-hmm. So I look at it like if you're if you're a kid in the hood and you, you want to get into the media industry or digital industry, digital right. media industry. Um, here's a way where you can jump right in. You don't have to pay clearances up front. Right. And you um you have basically all the high end premium content available. Right. All you have to do is curate it, edit it and do your thing with it. You know, it's, it makes it easier for a lot of people to monetize. Right digital media yeah that's yeah. awesome yeah. so it's
3: targeting people that want to create films or
1: it's or targeting literally anything like p- people are using like mashups to express themselves you know yeah, it's mm-hmm. they're crazy using like, it so to different. message each yeah, other memes yeah. and to do memes we just yeah. created a meme app we can talk about that but so it's like anything you can imagine it could be somebody who has a cause and they know that if they say it on youtube it might not get millions of views but if they have yeah, that's brilliant. you know a mashup, say it with famous names, you know, it might right. get more attention. So, yeah, that, or somebody who's a site owner and they want to just program their site mm-hmm. and they don't have access to talent or video production, they come on here and just curate.
3: Yeah, that's brilliant.
0: So, I want to go back to the beginning though, uh, because you had an interesting career now spanning, you know, multiple industries. Yep. Um, but I want to go back to how you got started. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so obviously, um, uh, you know, it, it seems seems sort of obvious that you would go into music, like, uh, you know, as Quincy Jones' son. Yeah. And um, so what was that like, though? How were you first exposed to the, the making of music?
1: Oh, man. You know, <laughs> I, I have had the good fortune of even beyond my dad, but especially my dad, you know, mm-hmm. um, just always been around classic, you know, music sessions my whole life, you mm-hmm. know, and starting with my dad, you know, like, I used to go to sessions. I was the only boy in the family, still right. am. So, Sure. So he would bring me to everything, you know. Yeah. So, like, I would go to, like, the Off the Wall, Thriller Sessions, George Benson. I was there when he met Michael in New yeah. York when they were doing The Wiz. Wow. You know, and I just got to see all these things. When you're a kid, you take it for granted. But sure. then as I got older, I was like, How, how old were you? I was like, it started when I was, like, four or five years old. Yeah. I used to go to, like, Roberta Flack concerts with them. And right jazz, all that.
3: When did you realize that it meant something? Like you knew you were in something
1: special.
0: Way later. So, yeah, when uh, did like you realize might- that your dad was Quincy Jones? Yeah.
1: That that took a long time, to be honest with you, because yeah. you take it for granted, as yeah. yeah. like I said. You know, you yeah, grew up seeing things from, from an early age, and you take it for granted. It wasn't until, like, way later, until I got even remotely, fractionally close to, to touching the world he's been in, that's when it started dawning on me, like, damn, this is, damn, he's really... Right. <laughs> you know? Right.
3: Were you always inspired by your dad?
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, like when I first got into music, um, it was through hip hop, mm-hmm. and and like I would going through his records was the first crate that I dug through, you know, right. Right. and and just growing up on jazz yeah. more than anything, I was raised with jazz. Like yeah. the Michael Jackson stuff was later, but jazz yeah, is like his foundation and my foundation to some degree. Yeah.
0: So, is there a a
1: downside
0: career-wise to being Quincy Jones's son?
1: um i i think in the beginning when i was getting into hip-hop i remember going to priority records and, and brian turner i think was like you know you should just do fresh prints and i was like whoa wow <laughs> like i don't even think he knew you know my background really but people have that knee-jerk yeah. response like oh he he're, he's he's visiting you know sure right and um so that was a little bit of an issue but but i think because of where i placed myself and just organically how i was connecting with people mm-hmm. i was able to, to just override it but but I think the main thing is people's preconceptions when I was getting into hip hop. Mm-hmm. Right. One of them, and then also like, people might expect you to have a a predefined path based on his sensibilities also. Right. And um and I think you know the older I get the more I realize that we are very similar. But mm-hmm. so when you're young you know you want to forge your own path. Sure. You know? of yeah. So yeah. I think that that. I that think that happens with all. Yeah. Children. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I think looking back I would have took even more advantage of it to be honest. I would have owned it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yep. yeah Yeah. So that's something that I look back and I was like, damn, you know, there's a lot of continuity. Yeah. And you can still do whatever you have to do. But yeah, yeah. I would have mm-hmm. probably soaked it up even more.
0: It's funny, I remember I met uh Randy Spelling when he was yeah. Trying to be a rapper. Right. And uh I forget the name of oh. his crew. It it wasn't good, no all respect to Randy, but uh all right. But, and he was really, like, he had changed his name, that he was really trying to distance himself from his father. Got it. And, I, you know, he was looking for management, so I sat with him at Jerry's Deli, and I said, look, man, go be Aaron Spelling's son. And, like, take, like, you know, create your own thing, but this is a fucking hard business. Like, Mm -hmm. get in the door. If that gets you in the door, get in the door. And then you can do whatever you want Mm -hmm. once you're there. But uh, he wasn't hearing that, you know. But some of that is... It's just age, right?
1: It's just you, you know. See, I think my head was, my paradigm was, because before I even moved here, um, we won the Swedish breakdance championship. It was the whole world to me. Sure. Yeah. And... um, Yeah, you had your own experience. And then we had a hit record. So by the Mm -hmm. time I got here, I didn't didn't feel so like... Yeah. Like you you needed it. Well, it was just more like I was able to get a taste before I got hit with the pressure. Right, right. 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 Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 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 So in my mind, I didn't really, you know, feel like... That reliance, and that's I'm that with respect. Like I feel like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I'm starting here and yeah, things yeah, are going sure. and everything. And but I think now, there's nothing I want to do more than following his footsteps. Now, the mm-hmm. older I get, the more I want to do it. You asked earlier, like when did I get it? Mm-hmm. I'm just now really starting to get the legacy right. part. Wow. And and how similar we really are in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, and how we've sort of done different things and change path and then bring it all together and right. I think that that's something I embrace like a lot now so we're talking about doing some pretty interesting things have you guys ever worked together? together yeah you know we did um, uh, a couple records together like I, I co-produced um, a lot of the songs on uh, the juke joint and okay and the one before that
0: oh uh, is that Back on the Block yep exactly okay I right. was
1: rapping on there with him and everything oh is that right yeah <laughs> oh damn we're gonna but like I that. said if we did that yeah the intro of the whole thing okay I think he had to go to the dentist, and they were like, "Why don't you do it?" I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, I got a rap That's <laughs> funny on these nice. stories. So, so yeah, so but I think if we did it now, it would be from a much more mindful place, yeah. mm-hmm. much more continuity and everything. Whereas yeah. at that time, like I said, I was just trying to prove to hip hop, you know. Right. Now it's much bigger than that. So yeah.
0: Like, so what was it? Do you remember the first record? That.
1: Yeah. So like like they used to play uh marvin gaye but herbie hancock and stevie wonder those are my favorites mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. which which records uh the songs in the key of life you know uh, herbie hancock all of them watermelon man mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. all that stuff yeah the headhunters yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So, so, growing up in that environment, like, did you, was there a conscious decision that I'm going to go make mm-hmm. music, or did it just sort of happen?
1: And To be honest with you, I think I tried to resist it, yeah. because everybody was asking, are you going to do music just like your dad, yeah. and this, right. that, and other, and then, you know, I think every kid has that streak of, like, right? Well, I'm going to maybe try something else, Yeah. Right. and I tried that, and everything always led back to music. What did you right. try? I tried... Um, martial arts i was into that big time you know mm-hmm. i thought that was going to be a life career you know <laughs> when you're young you know sure you know. um and then um and then i got into breakdancing big time i was on tour with like yeah. levi's and nike and all that stuff and then that led me back to music mm-hmm. yeah you know, eventually
3: yeah. all elements of music exactly tied to that mm-hmm. that's awesome what about you know you've lived in so many different places yeah. like you know i i did see your interview on camouflaging um and adapting or not camouflaging and adapting quickly, but like, how did music play a role in that, like living in all these different places? Did you listen to what was playing in your house, or did you pull influences from the streets and neighborhoods?
1: Um, It was a combination of everything. I think I got a great foundation growing up, Right. You know, I saw the sessions, I heard the great records and it was always curated at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Right. And then um like I said I moved out. I lived in Paris for a little while as a kid. I lived in Sweden most of my upbringing, which is a really musical place by the way. Like that they're the music really? capital of the world right now. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. They um they're the third largest exporter of music in the world and we only have 9 million people. Wow. So, so how is
0: your how how's your music influenced by by Sweden?
1: Because in Sweden, it's it's another curation play, right? Where's, like It's geographically on top of everything, so mm-hmm. they don't have a regional sort of specialty. They listen to the best from everywhere. Oh, wow. So the best from the West Coast, the best from the East Coast, the best mm-hmm. from America, Paris, everywhere. So it's all always about the best of everything. Because with 9 million people, you don't have room for a mid and low class of taste. Right. Yeah. Everything is good. <laughs> you right. Know? So like, if you buy a coffee in Sweden, no matter where you get it from Seven Eleven anywhere, it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. That's what have, I've you,
3: heard. Like, People yeah. like, my friend went to Geneva and she said, like the McDonald's is so expensive and amazing. It's
1: inc- yeah, right. everything tastes good. There's no room for, for low or mid level of anything, clothes, mm-hmm. nothing. So all you see your whole life is really the best of everything. Mm-hmm. It's not a wealthy country in that it's a socialist country. It's like right. It's right. pretty low key, but, but just their sensibilities are, are high end. So yeah.
3: being introduced to that, were you, did you have a different ear for music or talent? Like, did you see things different because you were always exposed to like the best?
1: Yeah, I think I think we just always w- were trained, just from my up- personal upbringing and from society, to, mm-hmm. to just just only pay attention to to, to number one, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> or what's like really good, whether it's well known or not. Just focus on the best stuff.
0: So you get led back to music, and then is uh, is Sound Lab the first?
1: Yeah. So is, so, I mean, record-wise. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy enough. Um, like when I was still like on the fence between you know martial arts and music mm-hmm. um, uh, the opportunity came to, to do the soundtrack um, and, and act in a movie in Sweden and it was about this park we used to all hang out in where hip hop kind of started in Sweden oh wow mm-hmm. it was like 1982-83 and I used to be in that park all day, so they wanted real people from, from the park to be in the movie and be involved. So I was like, I'll do the music. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done it before, but I, I just wanted to be part of the project. Right. Yeah. And so they bought me some equipment when I was, like, 14 years old. And they were like, if you guys can figure all this out, like, you got it. And I was like, cool. I learned it yeah. on the spot. Yeah. And that's how I really got into music. And don't you know, that movie and soundtrack was, like, one of the top-selling projects of all time in Sweden. Is and that I, right? The first time I ever wrote a song, it was like a smash hit. What <laughs> was know, it called? Like, it was called Stockholm's Night. Okay. And it was like a rock song. We did hip-hop songs. We did a little bit of everything. We were just yeah. trying mm-hmm. to get out there. Yeah. And um, and it was like a big, huge hit. Like, people cover that song to this day. Wow. Right? So, so I guess yeah. we all had natural talent, all, all the kids in the room. But yeah. We were all like 14, 15, and we did the whole album ourselves. That's amazing. You know, so.
0: And wow. then what? So what goes through your mind when all of a sudden you got a hit record, you're
1: teenager <laughs> nothing <laughs> do you I, have I, any idea <laughs> I, I didn't know the same thing is I didn't realize the level mm. my dad was at. he yeah. had no idea how hard it was to get that to happen so yeah. we're like cool you know whatever right. just messing around And I left Sweden like a few weeks after that blew up so I did not even get came to really, back here yeah I came back here oh my yeah.
3: god that's so wild yep.
1: and did you come back knowing
0: that now I'm a musician um, Is that like you came back here to make music, or was it something else?
1: In my head, I was still a b boy mm-hmm. slash like I was trying to be the king of the beats at the time. Like Mantronic was mm-hmm. my my, go- my like god at the time, right? Yeah. So I was just trying to be the, the king of hip hop tech. Like that was my thing even mm-hmm. back then, you know. Mm-hmm. So I came here to do that. So I moved to to the Bronx first in New York and uh, was roommates with T La Rock. Okay, first rapper on, uh, on yeah. um, Def Jam. And so, like, I was there for, like, I don't I can't even remember how long, but it was a while. And, like, his roommate, I mean, his brother was a special K from the Treacherous Three. Mm-hmm. So, that, that was my hip hop foundation. Wow, like, yeah. Right there in the South Bronx, it was incredible. Was yeah.
3: that intentional to room with him, or did it just happen because you guys were friends?
1: Um, it, it just happened. My mom, you know, uh, for one reason or another, ha- pretty much wanted to get out of Sweden. Mm hmm and um so so he told me he said if you ever come to new york you know you can stay with me and i I don't think he meant it yeah but But i took him up on it yeah sure
0: yeah that's awesome nice yeah and so now you're thrusting that i would have guessed that the hip-hop community in the south bronx is a little different than the hip-hop community
1: in sweden it was different but it wasn't that different you know because we were because like like all those mixtapes and battle tapes, Busy B versus blah, 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 and all that, the breakdance videos, like all the underground things that were in New York, somehow we got them before mm-hmm. the internet. I don't mm-hmm. know how. So when I got there, I knew almost everything. It's just like the slang, mm-hmm. where to go, where not to go, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. I had to learn. Sure. But um, in general, like, everything was hip-hop code. It was all the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know? But it was in- incredible. That experience, like, was probably the best experience you can have. somebody trying to get into hip-hop because i was on the same block as like fat joe uh nice and smooth like greg nice was (laughs) Mm -hmm. tila rock's beatboxer you know um uh sedgwick and cedar was about a block away like, mm-hmm. we were right there at the epicenter. Melly Mel was on the corner, like... So, the, were you guys you know. going
3: to, like, the same coffee shops, pizza joints? Like, how how does that...
1: Yeah, like, I would go to the corner store and see Melly Mel outside, or, That's like, crazy. Cowboy from Furious 5, like, on our block every day. Like, it was like the epicenter of hip-hop was right where we were. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, like, that and walking around with Special K, T-Rock's brother, like, giving me tours of the Bronx and talking about everything. It was incredible. And it was also the year that, that crack hit and AIDS mm-hmm. and all that. So, like, mm-hmm. New York was real... Yeah. like raw
3: at that yeah. time,
1: right. you know. So,
0: so, go ahead. Well, how how aware are you then that, like, I mean, it's easy to look back now and say, okay, I was kind of at ground zero for, you know, this thing that's gone on to influence the entire world. Yep. Right, but how aware of it were you at the time?
1: I was probably more aware of it than anybody because coming from a place where you you never see a rapper walking around right. to to being at the epicenter of it, yeah. I was yeah. like you guys
2: see this and I was nah, like nah, no nah. no no
1: let's take pictures and yeah. you know get autographs and all that so I yeah. was like I was a super fan and we'd be in the studio like in the South Bronx I remember one session um, KRS-One was recording the, de- the demo for Criminal Minded before us mm-hmm. so we were waiting for his session to end mm-hmm. and I remember playing around with those sounds like all that classic moments yeah. we'd be at a studio called Power Play and Rakim was next door working on Microphone Fiend you know what I mean mm-hmm. like all these mm-hmm. classic sessions I think I sensed that, that it was probably bigger than most people mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah, right. I was, like, came from a different perspective. Right. I was a fiend, fiend
2: before fiend. I became a teen. I melted microphones instead of colds and ice cream. Music orientated, so when hip-hop was originated, fitted like pieces of puzzles, complicated. Cause I grabbed the mic and tried to say yes, y'all. They try to take it and say that I'm too small. Cool. cool, cause I don't get cool. upset I kick a hole in the speaker, pull a plug Then I jet, then I jet. back then to I the jet. lab Without a mic to grab So then I add all the rhymes I had One after the other one Then I make another one To diss the opposite Then ask if the brother's done I get a craving like I fiend for nicotine But I don't need a cigarette Know what I mean? What I'm what raging. What I mean. Up the stage So is
3: that where the documenting side of you like was inspired?
1: that's exactly right yeah that's awesome so i was taking pictures i was saving everything and and i was living in new york at the most you know golden age of hip-hop and then i moved to la and worked with like dre and q before they blew up with Mm nwa and all that stuff dub c like Mm -hmm. i you know i used to give young mc a ride to school like you know we used to all just work together trying to make it and um yeah so
3: that's
0: wild was there so before we leave new york was there a lesson or you know, some game that you got from Tila Rock or any of those guys.
1: I think they taught me the difference between like rap and lyrics. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I thought everything spoken word was rap. Mm-hmm. Like even the stuff we tried to do, and they were like, "No, no, no." <laughs> <laughs> like this is lyrics, and this is rap. And they and they yeah. were basically the inventors of the new school. Those guys, you know, Special mm-hmm. K. Tila Rock were the first ones to use long words mm-hmm. and like right. a bunch of syllables and like change up the rhythm and mm-hmm. everything was more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like, God bless me to put me in the right exact.
3: Right place, right time. Right place, yeah. right yeah, time. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell says best. that. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you moved to L.A., were you like, maybe I shouldn't leave New York because this is the hub? Or did you take what you left knowing that I'm going to take everything I've learned here and apply it? in LA
1: yeah when I first came to LA it was crazy because they didn't know who Us was right they didn't even have the records I had to order the records and then play it for people like this <laughs> is hip hop you know and it was right when Ice-T was like the main person mm-hmm. and then I hooked up with this guy named Crazy Tunes mm-hmm. he was uh, Dub C's brother and me and him became production partners and we signed this girl Terry B oh I
0: didn't know that yeah you know I used to manage dub and.
1: really yeah okay yeah like in the, uh, <laughs> night.
0: It, so for curb Server and Westside Connection and Shadiest
1: one, okay, so dope. Yeah, but
0: I didn't, I didn't know you guys. This is there. like amazing. this I mean, this is a this while is before a- that. Eighty-seven.
1: Yeah, and um and yeah, so so we signed we, we we did a demo on this girl Terry B, and then she ended up getting signed to Dr. Dre and EZ right. when they had when they were called Comtown Records before Ruthless, I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's how I got in the game, really. And then I, you asked me the question about the transplanting from New York. Right. I didn't really think about it. Like, if I went to Japan. Hip hop was there. If I went right. to Sweden, right. hip hop was there. We, Even we before
3: just, the internet, that's wild. You Bring
1: it wherever you go. It was never like a difference. Mm-hmm. And but I also, remember, you came
0: into so Ice T, you know, Everlast, which I know you worked with. Yep. Yep. Uh, like that was kind of the New York connection to the to L. A. Yeah, right. Because those guys had come from the East Coast, and yep. you know, they knew that. But then, the, you know, cats like Dub and Dre, and like they hadn't, they had never been to the East Coast.
1: Exactly. And I'll be honest. I mean, I. Everybody kind of frowned on LA back then. They were like, mm-hmm. yeah. there there was no real hip hop here at the time." Sure, mm-hmm. but it was it was like bubbling under. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough to be part of that, and and catch this right. wave also. You know, but it you know, I was just looking for like rappers, right. <laughs> people that were actually in the lyrics and stuff. So
2: yeah,
3: that's awesome. So, right place, right time. You were super hungry. Like, what else would you say was w- why you were so s- successful?
1: I think a lot of it had to do with that hunger Mm -hmm. coming from another place and being starved out and Mm -hmm. then once you get it you're like i want to eat everything kind of thing and um and then also i think you know having success early made me pretty fearless so i would try things like if i wanted to do something i wouldn't i wouldn't say well i don't know if i can do that i would be probably overconfident
3: oh but that's like we hear that constantly that overconfidence like really pushes people in the room feeling
1: the fear but still pushing ahead. Right. Mm-hmm. And overconfident yeah, no, in that way. That's definitely
3: you know? a common theme we hear with these successful DJs that we've interviewed.
1: I think it's it's in confidence defined as like not worrying about, you know, just following your, your So things. did you yeah. did you learn that or you
0: know, was that was that from dad or was that Yeah, like my, my dad always told from?
1: me uh, both my parents but especially my dad always told me that um if you just follow your passion, you're always going to get the money mm-hmm. and everything yeah. else. And if you follow the money, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And I've tried both approaches, and I, I can attest that the first one is probably better.
2: Right. <laughs> so,
0: when did you follow the money? And what happened? I tried so the happened.
1: following the money like like for a period of. Uh, it was when I got into the DVD game. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started doing too many projects and expanding in directions that weren't really me. Right. But I was trying them because they seemed higher level and yeah. all these different things. Mm-hmm. And it just yeah. didn't feel right. And it didn't equate. To like put it this way, like you can spend three hundred thousand on a on a on a documentary you love and are pa- and passionate about, and three million on a documentary that that's kind of like just an expansion play. Right. And the $300,000 one is the one that's going to really kill it for you. Sure. You know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you have to like you so have to stick, f- to stick to stick to to what you know and what you love, and then th- bigger things can come out of something that mm-hmm. might be seemingly a niche. You know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. How do you,
3: you know, I. We hear that a lot, like follow your passion. I mean, everything you read, like what motivates you, follow that. But for some people, you know, it could be fear of losing something or fear of not getting the next big thing. Like how do you coach yourself through that? Like stick to your gut or stick to what you love, but sometimes you want to like maybe try other new things. Like how do you balance that, those thoughts?
1: I'm I'm a, I'm pretty radical with that. You know, yeah. like I, I like for instance, like I quit music, cold turkey, because I knew that I was more passionate about documenting what I loved. And when, when the love for the original play kind of declined a little bit because of the marketplace, mm-hmm. I was like, let me just focus on what I loved. And I went back, mm-hmm. and I was like, let me document this. And I figured, you know, on TV, when I watched hip hop documentaries, they were never really like I was never like, oh yeah, that's exactly what happened. It was more like, really, you know. And I was like I want to be the Ken Burns of hip hop mm-hmm. and I just got that in my mind and 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 then I pursued yeah. it you know yeah. so I'm I'm pretty fearless I've and now I've just did it again I felt like my sensibilities are better suited in technology now than in film or music I'm just going to go for it
0: Right you know? Yeah so so I want to hear about how that happened a little bit so you you know I think when we met I was trying to remember how we first met and you know I think you just around right like Yeah That's what happens, you know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you're working with Ice Cube. Yeah. You know, with Tupac. Yeah. With um, LL. Mm -hmm. Right. So some of the biggest names, you know, uh, in the world. And, and, you know, the album you did with Justin Warfield, I think, wasn't um, commercially successful, but, like, had a big impact, had a lot of influence. In
1: Europe, I know Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like... I was talking, we had Adam 12 on the other day, and he Good. was talking about, you know, his experience with Justin, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I think, like, even though that didn't sell a lot, it meant a lot to a lot of people. Got it. Um, so you're doing that, you're kind of at the top of the game, you know, I'm, I'm sure money's flowing in. Yeah. And, uh, but but you decide, like, you got to move on.
1: With For music, you mean? Yeah. Like, what was the, sort yeah. of the transition? What happened? Like, how'd you... You know, with what,
0: music, what it was, was like... Give it, yeah
1: describe that morning when you wake <laughs> up yeah. like, okay this is my last day as a producer you know i was in music and know I, I was trying to build a business out of music and and i had a bunch of producers signed to me i had a you know a joint venture with windswept for like 15 16 years and, yep. and had a, a really great business there and then um and then i think you know tupac passed away that was a big part of it because mm-hmm. working with him and ice cube him and ice cube are like favorite people on the, in the universe you know mm-hmm. like just working with them it was like they always brought 300 percent to the table wow. mm-hmm. so so when that sort of era passed and and then you know it went into maybe people emulating them but maybe not all of it mm-hmm. right. taking their shirt off but that was it you know what yeah. i mean and and i felt like like it wasn't the same thing like when i was working with cube even ll at some point you know those those are like my three mentors ll ice cube and, and tupac when I was working with them, we felt like we were having an influence on the community. So, yeah. like, you'd hear people change their mind about issues right. based on the music we were making. That's what I liked. Yeah. I liked that substance and that sort right. of leadership. And then it became the other way around. Everybody became followers. Every record sounded kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, while I could still appreciate some of the music, I just wasn't feeling Like, right. after being part of something that meaningful... It was hard to get engaged, right? And I was looking for the next and the next cube, yeah. Who was really trying to change the world, and and just went in a different direction. So, like I said, I, d- I decided just you know, I'm going to quit cold turkey, mm-hmm. um, and and just put my energies where I think I can make a difference right now. Mm-hmm. So, if you think of them as
0: mentors, what what do you, what would you say you learned from them?
1: Um, whew, from from LL, I learned work ethics. You know, like. He would leave me in the studio and come back the next day and expect things to keep moving forward, mm-hmm. right? So, like, he, he taught me how to how to really grind and not complain and just keep going, you know? Like, right. He'd be like, try 10 things. I'd be like, well, we already have it. And he's like, no, try 10 more. He <laughs> just kept pushing me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then um, I was staying at his house in New York when we were doing his record, so mm-hmm. 14 Shots of the Dome. So, like, we'd go down in the basement and spar and, like, do karate and shit and then go to the studio the next day. So it was like a holistic... Nice partnership right where we were we were just he was mentoring me personally and professionally you know so it was just a dope relationship with cube he was like uh, if you show up five minutes late you know you missed the session Mm -hmm. so everybody knew we had to be on time and and so it was like it was guidance you know like Mm -hmm. there was no discipline floating around in hip-hop besides those two guys right so they were like real sort of everything was like super timely militant business like and Cube was a year younger than me, and he would say things like, don't call me on the weekends, that's my family time. <laughs> so I was learning <laughs> from him, you know? Right. Yeah, that's so awesome. I was looking at it like, I want to be like that guy. So that's one of the reasons why I went into, besides my dad, that went into film also. Like yeah. I saw him writing scripts while he was waiting for me to finish a beat, or you know what I mean? And he mm-hmm. was always working, so that, that was inspiring. You know? mm-hmm. And then Tupac, you know, you, you go in the room with Tupac and you feel like you can do anything. You know, before that, I might have had like, you know, everybody has self-doubt issues or is this be cool or is this the right direction? You asked about like where I got that confidence from Tupac for sure. He'll be like, just do it. Like, let's go. Wow. To Live and Die in L.A., we recorded that song in like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I played played him the record and like 20 minutes later, the whole thing was finished. So you can go from just a concept to having the full manifestation of that Mm -hmm. and like. 10 20 minutes with Tupac Mm -hmm.
3: that's amazing
2: yeah wow it's the city of angels in constant danger south central LA can't get no stranger full of drama like a soap opera on the curb, watching the Ghetto Bird helicopters. I observe so many homies getting three strikes. Tossed to jail. Sweat a pin right across from hell. I can't cry, because it's home now. I'm just a player on his own now. Living like Thug style. So I can't smell Right into my love. And
0: then, so, you know, you talk about, like, the tide sort of shifts. So, you know, instead of this leadership, mm-hmm. there's a lot of followers. Why? Do you have any sense of why that happened? I think...
1: I think my own theory on it is that i think people see leaders pass away and mm-hmm. they think that's going to happen to them too if they speak the truth maybe interesting i think that's part of it mm-hmm. yeah. so they're like let me disguise it a little bit more mm-hmm. you know and then i think the other part is you know unless you've met somebody like tupac you can't truly understand and appreciate how broad he was you can't that's why i wanted to do these documentaries Mm -hmm. you know and i'll be in the studio with tupac or or even mob deep or or ice cube or any of these guys any of the rappers the conversation was always way higher frequency than what you saw on mtv Mm -hmm. So i was like i want to bring that out of people and show the world what we know about our culture you know yeah that's awesome so that's
3: really cool is you talked about that era being really special yeah is it still special? <laughs> like, is is music now? You know, we hear, <laughs> you know, Josh and I laugh a lot at the office. You know, I'll play something and he's like, "That's garbage." And he always plays throwbacks because that's like what he remembers and it, and respects, right? So I have a hard time because I live in, a, I grew up in a different time, like you know. So, is it still special?
1: <laughs> I think I think it's special in the sense that it's offering a lot of people who may not otherwise have an opportunity. To, to do something with their with their special talents. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think that's always been the great thing about hip hop. It's an opportunity. You mm-hmm. know? Right. Um, I think in terms of the music, you know, like I remember when we were working like like when Dre was doing Straight Outta Compton and all that stuff, like I would just sit and wait for my session and watch him work. Yeah. And when he was doing a DOC album and, and all that stuff. And 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 they would do like a hundred songs. And then out of those hundred songs they would pick like twenty and then they would pick 10 out of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then do another 20 songs you know and just kept going and they work a year year and a half on ev- every project which is why they kind of sounded so good and then you know for, for each album they were focusing on food groups so they were like okay we need one song dance song we need three radio songs so we can do three singles then we need one for the girls everything was planned out right, as an album so mm-hmm. then once they picked those 12-15 songs that go on the album they would sit and listen to the to the songs in different sequences over and over like for weeks, if not if not months, like and resequence it so that you could play the whole album, you know, beginning to end mm-hmm. without having to stop it. Right. And it was the art to all of that. Yeah, and Everything was so nuanced and like mindful, and I think that's what's missing today. If I if I had to say, it's that people are more like, let's just throw a bunch of songs together. We get a pr- track from here. I'll record it in Atlanta and then email it to somebody else. Right. It, it's not really masterminded in the same way. mm-hmm mm. So. That that's the main difference. So like so instead th- of food groups it's fast food. Exactly. <laughs> and it's thematic we, right. we're missing out on thematic albums that were you know planned out for a long time with themes that you could listen to at any given point and it mm-hmm. take you right there. Right. But, you know. It's not well, the album as
0: a vehicle is pretty much gone, right?
1: Yep. Yep. That and also, you know, the people that I worked I I specifically I didn't have a manager really, you know, mm-hmm. maybe for short periods of time, but were managing they weren't like guiding you know what i mean and and my main thing was i would just pick people that i felt were making a difference and like had an impact and usually those are the ones that'll be around for a long time Mm -hmm. so that's the other part is like somebody who has a plan for their audience right like all the greats bob marley john lennon every they all had a plan in their mind of what they wanted their audience to feel Mm -hmm. and think and all those things and i think that's what makes a great artist right so that that's also not quite as pronounced today like artists don't come with a mission they're just like i'm here to entertain right right." they might even write great songs but that full body sort of plan Mm -hmm. may not be as strong today Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: well that's well said
1: so did you try i know i i do remember
0: sometimes shortly after we first met because i you know i spent a bunch of time with with red food with kendall yeah 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 Um, that's my man and he was working uh, you guys were working together yeah and i remember i always you know, I always tell the story about how crazy he is, because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, um, you know, he was living with his mom in in Civic Palisades. We used to go yeah. to his house and yeah. hang out. And then next thing I know, he's like, "I'm moving." Oh, where are you moving? I'm moving into, uh, you know, he's like, "I'm moving to South Central." Right. It's like, okay, that's a, you know, big, cultural change <laughs> right there. Right, but right. he moved into your office building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you had and he had his studio, and then mm-hmm. he would run down the hall to use the shower. You know, the sh- I think he had to go down the block to use the shower. Yeah, and he was like living in an <laughs> office building. And I, at the time, I mean, I was just like, dude, you're Barry Gordy's son. Like, why are you living in an office building? Right, right. You know, but he right. needed to go through whatever. Right. He creative. Was going through. Yeah, he was a creative. And obviously, you know, it's worked out for him. He's, you right. know, he's been able to do some cool things with it. But I know you were mentoring him. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm curious with, um, like, how has that worked out for you being a mentor to other people and trying to, like, pass on some of these lessons?
1: Um, uh, Real quick, before that, you know, it's interesting because people might want to the same thing about me. But, like, I grew up with my mother mostly as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I had the luxury, in my opinion, of growing up rich and poor. Yeah. You know, so that's why I was there. You know, like, we from from were you living in that building, too. Uh, f- for like eight years, I was there. Oh shit! Yeah, but I was I was lived around the corner. I okay. lived in Inglewood at the time. Okay, you know, but yeah, but still like that's that that wasn't something I did to reach out. Like mm-hmm. I grew up even in Sweden. Like mm-hmm. mm, right. the last station, which is like the Bronx. You know what I mean? Right. So so I actually had the luxury of being able to a b, poor versus rich, my whole yeah. life, which mm-hmm. is why I wanted to do documentaries because I felt I could be a bridge.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like your your POV mm-hmm. was. Yep. But in
1: terms that's of being strong. a mentor, like like, that's something I wish I would have had more of as a kid. To be honest with you, like yeah. we had to read about people in remote locations, to try to suck information and, mm-hmm. and yeah, learn sure. things, and there was no internet, so like like, and nobody really putting you in position until I met Cube. He's the first one that was like, "Yo, I believe in you. Here's," mm-hmm. you. and yeah. he gave me everything you know I needed to succeed, and so um, I want to do that for other people. So that that's definitely important to mm-hmm. me, you know. And Kendall, like like I said, he he was he was super technical, like a really smart guy. Yeah. You know, really technical and curious. You know, and like I'm, I'm like half geek and half hip hop, and I right. think he's kind of the same way. Like, yeah. like we're both very curious intellectually. So like that's how we connected. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I probably learned more from him than he learned from me <laughs> at the time. Mm-hmm. You know? Nice. So yeah, we pro- we were we were the first producers I think that had like computers produce with like in hip-hop we were definitely the first like yeah. we were working on black and white Atari mm-hmm. computers doing like Ghetto Bird and all that mm-hmm. oh that's funny yeah, yeah. yeah why oh why
2: must I swoop through the hood like everybody from the hood it's up to no good you think all the girls around here what chicken tricking up there looking like super chicken at night I see a light through my bedroom window But I ain't got shit with the packing pin up. So. Yeah,
0: he produced one of my first demos. Really? And it was, we had a demo deal with Columbia. Okay. And and I used three producers, and that was really my first time going in the studio. Right. And it was interesting for me to watch three different producers, three totally different approaches. Right. And yeah, Kendall was like mad technical and yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, exactly. Yeah, it was it was interesting.
3: So learning everything that you did through, you know, Cube, um and everyone, moving away from the music space, going into tech now, what's a work day like?
1: I thought hip hop was tough and competitive, <laughs> man. That's the one thing about tech that people have no idea is is it'll 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 rock your world in terms of like, like the intensity and the tenacity you have to have and the emotional fortitude to deal with all these little ups and downs of the iterative tech world mm-hmm. and how smart everybody is. Like right. you're not dealing with your average competitor. Everybody went to Stanford. Everybody's super smart. Right. right. So it just raises the game. And, and the internet is alive 24-7. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no sleeping on it. So you can't make a record, go away, come back. It's not like that at all. Man somebody asked me what's the difference between tech and music people show up on time right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> big. So yeah like, they're all prepared yeah exactly so you know if if you come to a tech meeting 20 minutes late the meeting's over that's it mm-hmm. you missed the window the meeting was 20 minutes you mm-hmm. know whereas mm-hmm. in music you know you're lucky if the executive shows up within an hour right. You know? right so that's that's one of the differences so now one of the things that's different for sure is i used to wake up at two in the afternoon and ma- make records whenever i wanted to whereas mm-hmm. now you're getting up at six at the latest right. no matter what mm-hmm. no matter what and then like um there's so many things you got to deal with like um I think the big misconception of the web is that you build something you put it up and what you see is everything and really 99% right. of the work is behind what you see right you know and keeping all that stuff running and you know all the customer service and and like the tech tech part of it and and I mean there's users right User complaints user assistance mm-hmm. i mean there's mm-hmm. so many different it's overwhelming things you have to, <laughs> to really think about yeah.
3: and there's like always a new tool to help streamline something that you're like oh why didn't i think of this why exactly. isn't this part of my process already
1: exactly and there's a there's a startup popping up every day just like a rapper yeah it's so super competitive it's super competitive so yeah, you have w- to think if they you know ben horowitz he's another <laughs> one of my mentors now he he calls it four-dimensional chess and that's exactly how i would describe mm. it oh n- wow. nice yeah what do you think the so what are some of the similarities
0: you're seeing between the tech and the music worlds?
1: Similarities I see is is, is albums are projects mm-hmm. and, and websites are projects also mm-hmm. or even startups. Yeah. So how you how you hire, how do you attract a high end team? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like to get somebody like candle on your, you know what I mean, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you have to figure out what is it that attracts high end team members. And then, um, and then once you get them, you know, how do you keep them motivated? And what I've found is that most really smart people, um, they kind of want to tell you how they work. Yeah. It's not the other way around. So you, you more of a hands-off approach where mm-hmm. you nudge them every now and then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really good people tend to work really good together, you know. Right. When everybody's motivated and focused on what they do mm-hmm. and they're not trying to do everything else, things tend to just flow really nicely. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah that's a good point.
1: Yeah. So what's
0: the, um, you know, you've been through this a couple of times, you know, it sounds not to sum up your career in 30 seconds, right? (laughs) But it, but, you know, it feels like you sort of reach a level of success and then there's some, something drives you to like move on and do something else. Yep. So what is that in this endeavor that you're hoping, like, what's the, what's the goal you know, what are you hoping to come
1: out of all your efforts and technology? So, um, I mean I, I I had different missions with different pieces, but I, I think I've always known intrinsically that that tomorrow's world is not just gonna be one skill set. So I never yeah. looked at music as my end all, right? right? And I never looked at film as my end all. Mm-hmm. But I knew that like Steve Jobs he left apple and then came back as the ceo after he learned entertainment and Mm -hmm. marketing and all these different things in the real world yeah so i kind of looked at my journey like that i read Mm -hmm. his book early and i went to atari computer camp and all that Mm -hmm. and so i modeled i was always looking at that so i looked where'd you go to computer uh palo alto
0: okay yeah i went in calabasas
1: really yeah nice yeah. Got the little Atari shirt still. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, you know. that's funny. And so I always knew that, that it's going to be a three-course meal at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. y- yeah. you can't be in music without knowing technology or storytelling mm-hmm. and film. Today without video, you're, you're right. And it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So um, so I just looked at it as tenors and each one learning hands-on. Like I was making films, learning how to edit everything, mm-hmm. like After Effects. Yeah, all that stuff, and then learning how branded entertainment works. Right. Learning how the tech stacks work. Uh, learning how the tech community works. And then now it's all coming together. I created basically my dream job with with WeMesh, so I see that as kind of my destination. Mm-hmm. There'll be other things probably, but right. that's like I've always built to I bought the URL in two thousand four right so I've always planned i mm-hmm. I held on to all the rights for my content just to do this you know mm-hmm. so if that works out, then I'm gonna bring everything into that and basically look at that as like um like, I can do everything there. I can yeah. do music, I can do mm-hmm. video and technology all in, sure. all in one room.
3: Yeah, that's really inspiring. What too. would
1: uh, What would make you want to produce another record? You know, that's interesting you say that, because I've, I've been feeling the itch for a long uh-huh. time. I didn't <laughs> think about it at all. Okay. And then I actually saw Cube up at the Straight Outta Compton um, mm-hmm. premiere in Palo Alto. When mm-hmm. Ben did a screening there. Yeah. And um and, and it just kind of bit me again because like my kids are now into the generation of hip hop that I was working on for a long time. It just didn't cross my path so much. How old are your kids? My kids. My son's 13. Okay. Yeah.
3: Good age. Now yeah. He's like sharing all his ideas.
1: And my daughter sings like really good. Oh really? Yeah. Super cute and all. Nice. That. What up Mia. <laughs> 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 so yeah.
0: So are you gonna make? Are you gonna? Is there another generation of
1: Joneses coming into the music business? I think my daughter is gonna. Take it to the next level. Is she's that right? like she sings every day for like eight hours, man. No way. On YouTube, practicing with her headphones on. That's
3: amazing. Yeah. I read four hours a day is like you can learn any skill set if you practice for four hours a day. Yeah. But eight hours, wow, that's she's awesome.
1: Ten, and she sounds like Rihanna, or you know. Oh my God! Amazing. Like wow. She's so real. cool. That's cool. Yeah. Are
0: you get so are you gonna make a record with her? Is that what you're thinking? If about? she lets me, I would okay. love to. You know. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. She's yeah, still
1: a little shy with it, but she's really good. Like yeah. <laughs> Professionally good, like yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. That's funny. Um, so you, you know, you've been really successful in in video. Yeah, and um, you know, like like you mentioned, you started kind of before the web, and then you yeah. know you've been involved in in video for the web. So how does that? How do you see that world changing? You know, and and what like? You know, it feels to me like YouTube. And those platforms have ushered in a new approach to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what's your take on on like what's happening with video
1: right now? I got a funny story about that because being a techie, whenever like a new technology would emerge, I would just go see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like when YouTube, before they they got acquired by. Uh, google i just went up there and, uh, mm-hmm. and called up chad hurley and it was like we just went up there and we asked them if we can do a channel and at the time they didn't have capabilities so um so we were one of their first channels period because yeah. they called us they're like all right we're ready mm-hmm. you know so yeah so i remember i went up there and it was just one room like this size maybe twice as big as this and just plastic chairs and a table <laughs> and i was like this is what startups look like you know crazy For sure. so so anyways i i saw that from day one and me and me and Chad Hurley were laughing about that on Twitter the other yeah. day. Like, Remember that time, you know, they were out there nervous trying to close the deal? Yeah. That's hilarious. So, um, but my take on, like, online videos, like, I've been a supporter since day one. I used to go to, to the digital Hollywood stuff, like, mm-hmm. before YouTube existed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been in it since day one, you yeah. know. And I'm a, a big believer in that, you know, we're going to see, you know, films shot on phones and all mm-hmm. kind of stuff coming. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's one of the reasons why, I like, we because I want to be part of, Sort of nurturing that community right like the diy kind of just go out and do it mm-hmm. it's, it reminds me of hip hop that's mm-hmm. what i like it. you know people mm-hmm. are resourceful and they yeah. just find a way to make it work you know so i love it i think i think that you know I'm, i mean, there's going to be film festivals just for that you yeah know, yeah all kind of things i think it's it's incredible and it's what i like about it all you ask me what my mission is with my work it's always to, to help the underserved in some way mm-hmm. maybe not overtly but if you build a platform that helps them get a lift and be able to monetize without being outside hustling. Yeah. That's 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 good. Yeah, so that's I think really that positive. that's what YouTube did mm-hmm. is it got people on their phones and their computers instead of hitting the block.
3: Yeah. That's awesome. Um we have room for one more question, but I have a question. So I'll Go save ahead. that last one for you. Uh, okay, I'm you know, I have a r- long list of movies that I need to watch.
0: <laughs> I'm always selling <laughs> the movies.
3: Um, so um, any favorite movies that I must see? M- f-
1: like f- feature films? Yeah,
3: or f- films that you love like all time that maybe are more indie that I must see.
1: I mean, it, it may be more like from an insider's like gourmet perspective, but mm-hmm. there's a documentary that I, I think is like, like the godfather of documentaries mm-hmm. in terms of the quality and the substance and just the, the, the visual aesthetics. It's called the Fog of War. The oh Fog of yeah. War, and it's a uh, it's made by this guy named Errol Morris, who's like the Godfather, you know. Mm, nice. So if you if you want to get into serious documentaries, like that's one to watch, and it's just one interview and visuals. And wow. It's All right. Yeah. I'm watching it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite DJ? Um, I I like I like what the what the dubstep guys are doing because it's very technical. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like tech manifested in music, but in a really good, tasteful mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And so uh um, who do you, who do you mess with? Uh Snake, okay. Dope, you know. Yeah. We've I heard his Mike Skrillex the other day. He's like I just like I like that whole little movement right there. Mm-hmm. Like where they're almost like scientists, you know. Mm-hmm. And and coming up with these crazy sounds and we're we're talking a lot of those guys for the WeMash platform also. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them are doing visuals behind their sets. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're gonna be the fuel for that. Yeah. And let them mash up whatever on the platform so they can yeah. use stuff. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that is um, really cool. Is
0: there one of your, your father's records that impacted you the most?
1: Oh, there's a few. Uh, my favorite work of his to sample are his movie soundtracks, his scores. Because, mm. you know, he would do like a little break that every four bars was different. You know, mm-hmm. It had to match the picture. So I, I, I rated that. You know, I killed <laughs> that. Yeah. I don't even know if he knows I got a lot of room from that. Is that right? <laughs> Um, but then Off The Wall is my favorite album. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then uh, Smack Water Jack, too. Nice. And Mellow Madness. I like, I like a lot of his older stuff. Yeah. His jazz record. Yeah. Smack
2: Water
0: Jack, he bought him a shotgun.
2: He couldn't take no more abuse, so he shut down
0: the congregation. well, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, it's great to you see have you. Um, yeah, likewise. appreciate all thanks the insights. For me, man.
3: Yeah, you have a very humble energy, and you're very inspiring. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Yeah, appreciate it. Nice. All
3: right, so. where can we? Well, should we do the? Oh yeah. Yeah, where can we find you on social?
1: Can we promote some socials? Um, yeah, just I think Q- I'm Instagram. I mean, they're all different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm cutie3 on Twitter, you know, Instagram, the real cutie3. Facebook, just put my name in there. Uh, those <laughs> are the main, three main platforms. That and I is
0: and as we mash is it up yet? Are we, are we so are we we're launching
1: w- the first app for we mash. Um, this week. Okay, oh, nice! So Apple yeah. Apple just approved it. So the seventeenth is going up live. Okay. Yeah, share it with so us. So check we'll the be. App Store. Yeah, it's called we Weems. Names. W-E-M-E-S, and that's video memes. So we're nice. evolving. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Memes by letting people put text over clips from yeah. our library, like people like Kanye and Drake and all that. All right, that we're gonna be and, using it. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah cool
0: we are out of here. That was QD three. I hope you enjoyed it if you're on dash radio hit us up if you're on soundcloud hit us up if you're on itunes hit us up if you're on twitter at rebel radio net let us know what you thought and come back next week for more rebel radio